about, uh, okay, great. Good morning, everyone. Hope that you're all well this morning. Nice to see you again. Uh, if you're here for the first time, what we're busy doing is we're going through the, the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, and we're looking at uh, people who've encountered Christ in those four Gospels and had their lives permanently changed by that encounter. And I hope that for those of you who've been here these last four weeks, that between Tom and myself, we've managed to open up some of the, the wonder and the glory of an encounter with Jesus Christ and what that means. And I know many of you have your own story that you could tell of such an encounter. Um, this morning we're going to tell the story of a, a sinful woman who found forgiveness through an encounter with Jesus. Uh, and that's in Luke chapter 7. So if you could go there with me in your Bibles, please. Luke chapter 7. And the story begins in verse 36. But what I'd like to do is just get the run of it, uh, to get it in its context. It's always important when you read any part of Scripture to get it in its context. And that is particularly relevant in this story this morning because I will hopefully bring out this morning that Luke positions, the Holy Spirit through Luke, positions this story exactly where it is after a certain contention happens between Jesus and the Pharisees. And in fact, it is illustrative of what has come before. So let's just read from verse 31. Uh, Jesus is embroiled in yet another controversy with the Pharisees. They've been arguing with him, criticizing him. Uh, in this case, they criticize him for being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus, uh, he says this in verse 31. To what shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace with nothing better to do with their time than play a little game of contradiction. They are calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We mourned for you, and you didn't weep. Now, for those of you who have kids, you know that children love playing on-on. And if... Uh, there's a garden involved, it's even better. And if there's a swimming pool in the middle of the garden, then it's even more fun. But uh, my son, Luke, who's seven years old, when we play on-on together, he sometimes takes it a little too far. And we'll be sitting at the dinner table as a family. He'll reach his arm across the dinner table and touch me and go on. I'm not quite sure how I'm supposed to respond to that at the dinner table. But I know that if I then touch him and say, you're on, what's going to happen? Yeah, he's just going to touch me back and say, you're on. I don't know where that ends. So I figured out this really clever way of ending the dinner table on on game. And that is I run, I run my hand past his body really close. And I say, on. And then he will touch me and say, you're on. Then I'll say, no, I actually didn't touch you there. So now you're on. And then he'll touch me again and say, okay, but you're on now. And I'll say, hey, no, I, I was lying. I did touch you, so now you're on. So he can't win. If he touches me, he's on. If he doesn't touch me, he's on. And uh, he, <laughs> he quickly loses all interest in that game. And we can carry on with dinner. 
Now, that is exactly what Jesus is saying the Pharisees are like. We can't win with you people. If, if, if we dance, then we should have been mourning. If we mourn, we should have been dancing. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. So John the Baptist lived this monastic life out in the wilderness. He, uh, he ate, you know, uh, locusts and wild honey, and he, 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 he never drank any wine, and they say, no, well, he's demon-possessed. Um, the Son of Man, and we saw what that means last week, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, we can't win with you people. And then Jesus said this. He said, but wisdom is justified by all her children. I want to talk to you about wisdom today. Because in the very next verse, Luke then picks up on this truth that wisdom is justified by her children by telling us a story in order to demonstrate to us what wisdom and her children looks like. So we're busy doing this series called Seven People, One Savior, and we're looking at stories of people who've encountered Jesus Christ. And one of the things, as you search Scripture... And you see people who've encountered Jesus. One of the things that you will consistently see in in their lives is uh, the fruits of wisdom. And in fact, there are three of wisdom's children, to use the analogy of Jesus, that you consistently see in the lives of people who've encountered Jesus. Three of wisdom's children. And Luke now lays out for us these three children of wisdom that you see in the lives of people who've encountered Jesus in a story about a sinful woman and a Pharisee named Simon. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what these three children of wisdom are in advance so that as we go through the story, you you can pick them out, and I'll point them out as we're going through. So, wisdom's child, number one, the fruits of wisdom in the life of someone who's encountered Christ. A grace... A grace to see other people as God sees them and to treat them as such. Secondly, a humility to see ourselves as we truly are. And thirdly, a power to see Jesus for all that he is. How we see others, how we see ourselves, and how we see Jesus. The children of wisdom. And now you can be looking for those three as we go through the following story. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Just another observation about the context in which this story comes to us as Luke tells it. In the previous verses which we looked at earlier... The three chief characters in this controversy were um, the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for being the friend of sinners. And then Luke immediately tells us a story in which all three of these characters are now present in the same room. 
a Pharisee has asked Jesus to come and have a meal, and a sinful woman is going to come and throw herself at his feet. It's incredible how it's all set up here. And through this, Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he wrote this gospel, he is now going to show us what true wisdom looks like. In the opening verse that we've read there, Jesus is invited to the house of a Pharisee. We're presented with what is perhaps a slightly unusual picture. Uh, When we think of Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees, we don't normally think of him having a meal in their house together, do we? We think of the, you shall not pass. Go back to the shadows. Lord of the Rings humor. <clears throat> so glad I got a chance to do that. <laughs> Thank you for the water. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. <clears throat> I collect my thoughts again now. I was, I was scanned off there for a, a minute. So we, we think of Jesus uh, in his relationship with the, with the Pharisees. We think of the contentions and the arguments that he was continually having to defend himself in. We think of their seeking, you know, a moment away from the crowds to destroy him. And perhaps most of all, we think of their hand in rigging his betrayal, you know, paying Judas to betray him. We think of their role in rigging the trial and his execution. Um, And yet, here we have a strange picture. Jesus sitting at the dinner table in a Pharisee's house. And he's laughing. He's eating and drinking. He's enjoying the company of the other guests. And I can't help thinking that Luke actually is having a laugh to himself as he writes this. I honestly see humor in this. It's almost like Luke is saying to his reader, okay, you want to talk about Jesus eating and drinking and being the friend of sinners. I'll tell you about just such a time. He actually had lunch with the Pharisee. Yeah, he, and then, you know, rolls over laughing, can't carry on writing his gospel for a couple of minutes because he finds it so funny. Yeah, okay, so he, Jesus ate and drank with sinners. Well, he actually ate and drank with a Pharisee one time. I honestly see that in the text. Regardless of that, there is one thing which we do need to notice here. Jesus wasn't bigoted against anyone. Often we think of Jesus as being the friend of sinners, but he got that reputation because he was gracious with the humble, not because he delighted in people's sin. Jesus, he wasn't bigoted against the low and the downcast in society, but he wasn't bigoted either against the educated and the powerful and the wealthy. He had no problem with the Pharisees. He had no problem with going to a Pharisee's house and having a meal with him. No problem. You know, the offer of the gospel is a genuinely universal, free offer of salvation to all who will come. To anyone who will come. 
It is a free offer of salvation. And that's good news, because that means it's a free offer to me. That offer comes to those who are low, but it also comes to those who are high. It comes to those who are uneducated and poor, but it also comes to those who are educated and wealthy. Last week we saw that the Pharisees had come to hear Jesus preach in a house, and there was that wonderful comment that the power of the Lord was present to heal them, if they were willing to have it. And here we see this morning that Jesus is eating in the home of a Pharisee. But as time progressed, of course, through the gospel, we see that despite the fact that Jesus offered himself freely to all, the Pharisees rejected him. And I mean, you might be tempted to ask the question, why did they reject him? I mean, of all the people, they knew the Old Testament. They knew Jesus had fulfilled scores of Old Testament prophecies. Born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, his way had been prepared before him by a voice in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist had pointed to Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God. He'd grown up in Nazareth. He'd be called a Nazarene. He'd spent time in Egypt. Out of Egypt I called my son. I scores of these prophecies he fulfills. And it was happening before their very eyes. How could they reject him? Not only that, but they saw him raise the dead. They saw him heal the sick, raise up paralytics, open blind eyes and deaf ears. They saw him work remarkable miracles and cast demons out of people left, right, and center. How is it that they could reject him? Well, the short answer to that question is, to quote the book of Acts, that it had not been appointed to them to have eternal life. But the long answer to the question, as you go into how that manifested in the Pharisees, is that they wanted a Jesus on their own terms. They were not willing to take Jesus on his terms. They wanted a Jesus. Now, remember three, the three children of wisdom. They wanted a Jesus who saw other people as they saw other people. They wanted Jesus to love the people they loved and hate and look down on the people they looked down on. They wanted a Jesus who would fit in with their little clique. And Jesus wasn't interested in that. Secondly, they wanted a Jesus who saw them as they saw themselves, perfectly righteous. But Jesus saw them as they truly were. And thirdly, they didn't accept Jesus for all that he is. They didn't receive him as the Messiah. They wanted, in summary, a Jesus who would dance to the playing of their little flute. And they found out pretty quickly they weren't going to get that. So in all three of the children of wisdom... We see the Pharisees are proven to be fools. And then in the very next verse, we're going to meet a woman who despite a life of the most debauched sin, sought out Jesus for forgiveness, and having encountered him, her life begins to manifest the fruits and the children of wisdom, and that in the very house of a Pharisee. The, the irony of this story is palpable. Verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city 
who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. So in these verses we meet a woman who lived in the same city as Simon the Pharisee. And the Bible puts no varnish or blush on the truth that she was a sinner. Doubtless she was an infamous prostitute in the city. And Simon the Pharisee knew exactly who she was. And he was disgusted by her. Remember wisdom's first child, how we see others. Well, he was disgusted by her. And Luke tells us that this woman knew about Jesus. Somehow she knew about Jesus, and we see that she had become convinced of two things. She was bearing two of wisdom's children. First, she had somehow become convinced that this man, Jesus, was not only willing to forgive her, but that he had power and authority to do so. Wisdom's third child, she saw Jesus for all that he was. Who can forgive sins but God alone? How did this woman know about Jesus? Well, we don't know. Perhaps she had been in a crowd one day on the outskirts of the crowd as he'd been preaching staying on the outskirts in case she ran into one of those nasty Pharisees, listening to the gracious words that would come out of the mouth of Jesus when he preached. And something in her heart, in that dark soul of hers, had felt a flicker of light. And she felt maybe that was hope for her to be forgiven. Perhaps she had seen Jesus deal with sinners deal with them graciously and compassionately and lovingly as he did. And yet, it wasn't only the love of Jesus that she had become convinced of. There was something else that had begun to dawn on her. A child of wisdom had been conceived in her by the state that this woman was in when she came to Jesus, weeping uncontrollably, we can see that she had also begun to have an awareness of the filth and darkness of her, of her, of her own body and soul for the life that she had, had lived. She was beginning to feel a deep sense of conviction of sin compared to this holy, pure man at whose feet she came and threw herself. Wisdom's second child, she saw herself as she truly was and she felt the weight of that. And so it was that despite the public shame that she knew she would be subjected to in Simon's house that day with all his friends there, despite the shame of that, when she heard that Jesus was in Simon's house, she felt an overwhelming urge to come to him and be made clean. And so she brought a gift, 
all she had. She had no righteousness of her own to bring. So she brought an, an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she came overwhelmed with a sense of her guilt, weeping and weeping with shame and regret for the life that she had lived, and yet believing that this Jesus was able to make her clean again. You may be here this morning, my friend, and you may have, in a similar way to this woman, you may have given your body away to sexual immorality. And you may feel as you come into the presence of God, the weight of that filth, of that dirt in your life and in your soul, and you may labor under the conviction that I can't free myself of this. I can't undo what I have done with my body. Listen to me. You come to Jesus Christ, and He is able to wash you clean again. Like a virgin, He can do it. Come to Him. So she came into the house and she went straight up to Jesus. She didn't want to make eye contact with anybody else. She just came straight up to him and she fell at his feet, overwhelmed with the guilt and the shame of the life that she'd lived and tears streamed down her face as she held his feet and she sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And she cried so many tears that the Bible says his feet were wet with her tears. She didn't even have words to apologize to him. She didn't have her words. She she couldn't even begin to try to explain the shame that she felt for the life that she'd lived or even ask him for forgiveness. All she could do was just cling onto his feet and weep and weep and weep. And I can just see Jesus putting his hand on her as she wept and wept. And her feeling his touch, not the lustful touch of a man, the only touch she'd ever known in her life, but the gracious touch of our holy God who loves and forgives sinners. Have you felt that touch? Have you felt that touch in your life? You can feel it today. And as she wept, she saw that his feet had not been cleaned by his host as they should have been. And she thought to herself, this man is making me clean. I don't want him to be dirty. And so in her love for him, she did all she could do. What did she have? She took her hair and she started wiping His feet clean. Think of it. She began to kiss his feet. 
how precious he was to her. Is Jesus this precious to you? Whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. And then she opened up this alabaster flask of perfume and she poured it on his feet as her act of love for this gracious Savior who had accepted her and was forgiving her of everything she'd ever done. What a glorious picture. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. See, for Simon the Pharisee, everything at his little dinner party was going swimmingly well. He had all his friends there. He had the famous miracle-working teacher that he could show off to his friends until he realized this Jesus is totally uncontrollable. Hallelujah. He wasn't going to play Simon's little social game here. And when Jesus refused to kick this woman away from him, Simon had become convinced so easily that he wasn't a prophet. I mean, if he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this was. But little did he know that Jesus could read his mind because Jesus was anointed with the Spirit of God without measure. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. See, though Jesus was a guest in this man's house, and you're supposed to be polite when you're a guest in someone's house, Jesus did not shrink back. He did not, uh, you know, in his, in his attempt to be a polite guest, he didn't refrain from re- rebuking Simon for his sinful heart right there in Simon's house. Jesus has got absolutely no problem confronting your sin. He's not embarrassed to do it. And nor should any preacher of the gospel. As long as there is sin in your life, unconfessed sin, I tell you something, Jesus has got something to say to you. Simon, I've got something to say to you. Go ahead and say it. Jesus then tells him a parable. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Now learn this from the parable. Every single one of us have incurred a debt so great that we cannot pay it back to God. Learn that from the parable. We have, with our sin, incurred a debt 
that we cannot pay for in all eternity. And the just payment for that debt that we owe from a just and holy God is eternal separation from Him in a place called hell. God is not unjust to send anyone to hell. That is what we have deserved. Now, it is true that some people have sinned more than others. That is true. Some owe 500 denarii, some owe 50. But even those who consider themselves to be pretty good people, I've never hurt anyone, I've never stolen anything, I'm a pretty good person, even they have incurred such a great debt of sin against a holy God that all eternity cannot pay for it. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. Tell me that's not true of you. I know it's true of me. And the only hope of forgiveness is in Jesus Christ because the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. You know, it is better to have sinned much in life and to come to your senses and say, I will arise and I will go back to my Father and I will say, Father, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. It is, it's better to have sinned much in your life and to come to your senses and go back to your Father than to have sinned little and never to repent. Hell is full of good people who have never repented just like Simon the Pharisee. Who will love God more? See, those who love God the most are those people who, wisdom's second child, they have become fully convinced of who they truly are. Sinners. Sinners in the sight of a holy God. And those who look to Jesus... Wisdom's child number three, they see Jesus for all he is. And when they see his broken, bleeding body on the tree, on that cross, they don't just see him dying for the sins of sinners in general. They see him dying, being beaten for their particular sins. Things that I remember doing in my filthy life. When Jesus hung on that tree, he was beaten for things that I've done. What a God! What a Savior. If you've been forgiven much, you will love Him much. And that's why this woman would not have gone back to a life of prostitution. She wouldn't have gone back to that life. You know why? Because Jesus Christ transforms lives. I don't know if there's anybody in this room that feels this, but I've spoken to people before who have become convinced of the truth of the gospel, but they say, I can't become a Christian. I'm not ready to take this step because I won't be able to live up to it. I won't be able to keep all the rules and live the kind of moral life. I'm too attached to my sin. My hope for you, my friend, is that you come to the total end of any confidence in yourself. And that you simply fall at the feet of Jesus and you experience the transforming 
power of the God of the universe who said this, my father and I will come and make our home inside of you. That's what he does. He transforms you from the inside out. You come to him and you leave the rest to him. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He said, Simon, do you even see this woman? Do you see that she's a human being? She's created in God's image. She has value. Do you even see her? What is wrong with you, Simon? What's wrong with your heart? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She's put you to shame, Simon. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you that her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And a thousand million angels broke forth into joyous praise and celebration in heaven. And the people at the table said, who can forgive sins but God alone? What a laughable picture. Your sins are forgiven. You see, it wasn't that that this woman wasn't a sinner. That wasn't Simon's problem, that he thought she was a sinner. She was a sinner. But Simon had some other fundamental problems that he didn't see. First of all, how he saw others. He didn't see this woman as God saw her. He saw her as a piece of filth. And he saw her as unforgivable. And how wrong he was. Because, my friend, I want you to know this morning, it is never too late. It's never too late. You come to Jesus, you weep at his feet, and he'll wash you clean. I don't care what you've done. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's hope for you, my fellow sinner. Hope for you yet. How he saw others. Secondly, how he saw himself. Simon the Pharisee didn't see himself as a sinner. He was so quick to point out the guilt of other people, but he couldn't see his own guilt. And in the end, he was the one that was unforgivable because he wouldn't repent. Thirdly, 
So how he saw others, how he saw himself, and now perhaps his biggest error, how he saw Jesus. Simon saw Jesus as just an ordinary man, just like himself. By the end of lunch, he didn't even think Jesus was a prophet anymore. And how greatly mistaken he was. Because he didn't know who he had for lunch that day, did he? Emmanuel. God with us. But Simon had no faith. It turns out that this invitation to Jesus was nothing more than a social trophy hunt. A show of pride. Look, I've got the teacher in my house. But he found out pretty quickly that day that Jesus isn't going to play that game. And my friend, he won't play that game with you either. Jesus is not interested in being your pretty little trophy wife to impress your friends at your dinner party. He's not interested in being your briefcase that you take into a business meeting. I'm a Christian, so the people will trust you and give you more deals. He's not your social tag-along, so that when you are in social circles, you can be slightly more upright in front of people. We go to church. Jesus isn't interested in that. He's not interested in being appendage to your life. If you're going to receive Jesus into your life, you will have to receive him as he presents himself to you. You know, the Apostle Thomas, after the resurrection, he wasn't there. It shows you he was being in church on a Sunday. When Jesus approached, uh, appeared to the other 11 or other 10 disciples, showed himself to be alive. He was risen from the dead. Thomas afterwards hears that happen. He said, I'm not going to believe it unless I put my finger in the nail marks. I won't believe it. The next Sunday, Jesus appears at church again. This time Thomas is there. And he calls Thomas to him. He says, come here. Thomas, come here. Put your finger here. Put it in, Thomas. Now come. Put your hand in here where the sword went into my, my side, my, the spear. You come put your hand in here. He wanted Thomas to have an aesthetic experience that he would never forget. And when Thomas had put his finger in the hole and his hand in the side, Jesus then looked him in the eyes and he said to him, Thomas, now don't be unbelieving, but believe. You know that Thomas went to India. He planted the church in India that still survives today. And in the end, he died as a martyr. He was run through with a lance, preaching the resurrection. And as they run that lance through him, I bet he could still feel the feeling of resurrected flesh on the tips of his fingers as he died for his Lord. You know, when Jesus said to him, don't be believing but unbelieving, Thomas had a great turning point in his life that day and he had exclaimed as he was broken in humility and shame for his doubt, he exclaimed, my Lord and my God. He was the first man to call Jesus God. My Lord and my God. That's who Jesus has to be to you. He will either be your Lord and your God or he will be your judge. He's not playing games with us, folks. And so how ironic that in the house of Simon the Pharisee, who wanted Jesus on his own terms, here was a sinful prostitute who was willing to take Jesus entirely on Jesus' terms. 
And so her sins, which were many, were forgiven, while Simon looked down his nose at her, still in his sins. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Who indeed? And then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He spoke such comforting words to her. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Now, as I close, I want to ask every member of the congregation here this morning, do you know peace with God? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? That if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? Do you know that? Because Jesus is here today. He's risen from the dead. And he's here in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You come to him this morning. You throw yourself at his feet. And he will not kick you away. He'll welcome you. And he will speak comforting words to you. As he did to this woman that day. Let's pray.